This is Ed Gallo. This is our second time starting this recording, uh, so I feel silly. But uh, this is the Fight Sites MMA podcast. I'm joined by Shuram Raleigh-Darin. Uh, now, how are you doing, Shuram? Now that you got your uh, mic figured out. <laughs> yeah, we have walked through technical hell to get here, but um, I'm good, all things considered. Mm-hmm. How about you, Ed? I'm good. I'm good. Yeah, we took last week off the podcast because there was really nothing to talk about. This week, there's still kind of nothing to talk about, but, you know, you got, you got to do what you got to do. Um, and, you know, I have some things I want I do want to say, and we'll do a little bit of our usual coverage. So the game plan for today is actually talk about the Contender Series a little bit because uh, I watched it. I watched it today, <laughs> which I don't normally do, so I can say something about it. And then there's a card this weekend that is headlined by Anthony Smith. I think this might be his seventh or eighth eighth, UFC main event and like five or six of them were in a row. Um, We kind of, I I don't want to beat a dead horse. We spent a lot of time last podcast talking about the UFC's business model and the way they did things. And um, I was on Dan Tom's protect your neck podcast recently. And I, it was almost entirely about that same subject. So I I've been whining about, this kind of stuff for a while. So you might be sick of it. I'm going to whine about stuff today too, just different stuff. Um, But I I do not have it in me for a third podcast just because it's going to happen every week. Every week, there's going to be something that makes me say, why do they do this? Why is this their practice? This is so crazy. Um, What what is the draw of Anthony Smith? Just like things like that. (laughs) And I just don't, I just don't have it. Um, Do you have anything to say about Anthony Smith's headlines? Uh, surprisingly, Anthony Smith is the person in this fight I have more to say about, <laughs> uh, which is kind of an indictment on its own. It's actually kind of a worse indictment than just having Anthony Smith in a bunch of headlines. Because, like, if Anthony Smith were the B-side in all these headlines, that'd be one thing. He's the A-side on this one, unequivocally. Um, the other guy, Ryan Spann, I don't have a thing to say about him. Uh, looks like a big, strong, light heavyweight, knocked out of Noguera, which, uh, I mean, fine, cool. But yeah, Anthony Smith, he seems like exactly the sort of uh, high-ranked dude in a division where no one exists, that uh, you're, you're going to want to have him for international main events. I think his first one like in this long stretch was in like, Germany, uh, so you know, I think they just took that and ran with it, which like fair enough on a personal level. I'm like happy for him. I've heard he's a decent dude. Um, you know, he deserves success professionally in a vague, generic sense. Um, <laughs> Success among the pool he's in, I'm less sure. Uh, based on the skills he has, yeah, I'm not as sure, nearly. Uh, but, you know, it is what it is. Uh, the, the UFC, they, I said this, I think, last time, they really blew their load with uh, the spring schedule. Where, like, pretty much every relevant fighter fought from, like, May to, or March to May. Uh, and now they're saving everyone up for, like, 267 and 268 a week apart. So everything in between, you have main events like Tiago Santos versus Johnny Walker and like Mackenzie Dern versus that one um, I get. I Marina get that Rodriguez. One, yeah, I get it. <laughs> but it's also kind of like you. I understand why it'd be a main event in a vacuum. I don't really think it'd be a main event if the schedule were where it was like yeah. normally. Uh, there's one other silly one. I forget what it was. Probably this one, Smith versus Span. So yeah, weird weird time for the UFC. Like if you were to just tune out and come back uh, for. Uh, Volkanovski Ortega, nothing would change. Uh, you have exactly the same view of the product. So there mm-hmm. it is. Yeah, that's a pretty good summation. Um, obviously, sometimes we exaggerate and things do happen on these cards, you know, on main cards and sometimes on the prelims. And we'll talk about them when they do happen. And if there's anyone you should look out for, but just overall, it's just in, in a general sense, it's it's bad. It's bad times. Um, so before we talk about that, before we talk about contender series, uh, I want to talk about something else that's bad. Um, and that would be the, let's call it like celebrity boxing matches that have been going on, uh, for a while now, maybe a year or so. It all started when the, uh, I mean, celebrity boxing is not a new thing. Um, but as like a more consistent business, it's definitely a recent thing, uh, where the Paul brothers started to, to take boxing matches um against other internet celebrities and you know basketball players and stuff like that and um they're very famous so it worked and uh they had the time and money to train like professional boxers and have gotten to the point where they can they can box with people um they're not good but they can they can they can do what they're doing like it's working um so obviously uh smart play by them very well done um i don't like them 
I don't like either of them. If I had to say which one I liked more, I would say I like Logan Paul more because I've heard him say normal, smart things sometimes. And Jake Paul seems like he doesn't have a good idea in his head. So <laughs> that's my thoughts on them as people. But yeah, just generally the way this is going is um, I don't mind that, actually. I don't really care about them fighting whoever because really, like, you know, knocking out Ben Askren, cool, good good had it coming uh <laughs> uh but with regards to like you know them them fighting whoever it, it's fine because you know the worst thing that can happen is they get hurt um it, you know if there's an overmatching uh, otherwise I'm like they're they're fighting pro athletes and people who are fighters who are you know not it wouldn't be that reckless to, to sanction them so that's fine by me but what does bother me is the way they've been filling out these cards these trailer events um, this is not the first time it's happened, but the most recent one was definitely the worst um, that it's been so far. Uh, so the headlining fight. So this wasn't like a Paul Brothers card. This was, uh, you know, on the a regular. This card. is like MMA <laughs> pioneers and legends of of the past. Uh, like, yeah, a more regular card, but it was headlined by. Uh, what did it start as? What was this? The fight it was supposed it was, to be. Was Holyfield the one in it? Before was it Vitor? Vitor, I think, was supposed to fight Oscar De La Hoya. Oh my god! Yeah, I forgot that was the thing. Which okay, I the the last time I saw Oscar De La Hoya like moving around, being a person, he was <laughs> don't judge me, but he he was on <laughs> The Masked Dancer, uh, which is this Fox show where you like they wear a costume, you can't tell who it is, and they do choreographed dances and they try to guess who it is based on clues and stuff. Um, he was a zebra. I think. And uh, he, he wasn't that good. Like he wasn't moving as much as you would expect from a former professional athlete, but he like can move his body like functionally. So it's like, okay. Um, he's not crippled. which <laughs> is pretty, the bar is very low. So that was supposed to happen. And then he got COVID and couldn't fight or other reasons. Who knows? Uh, and Vitor was like, come on, like I, I need a challenger. And it's like, Vitor, you shouldn't be fighting either, sir. Uh, let's calm down. But yeah, then uh, Holyfield was the replacement and obviously Holyfield is nearly 60 years old, um, had like essentially two full boxing careers um, and like wasn't supposed to come back the second, <laughs> the first time. Uh, so this is uh, pretty ridiculous. And uh, take this for what it's worth, which is a thing that I heard from Brendan Schaub. So <laughs> however you rate things that you hear from Brendan Schaub, that's how you should rate this. But he said that a couple of years ago, he was at some function where Evander Holyfield was there and he had to be like escorted everywhere. And like people were holding his arms and like telling him what, like who people were and like what, you know, was happening and like whispering in his ear and stuff like that. Um, you know, Brennan Schaub, he, he lies. He's a liar, but that seems believable. That seems yeah. believable. Uh, you know, a guy in his late fifties who fought as much as he did and fought the people that he did and had the things happen to him that happened. I'm like, yeah, Probably, um, you know, say what you will about MMA, but I think boxers get CTE at a much higher rate just because yeah. of the science of it is basically getting a bad concussion is going to give you brain damage no matter what. But CTE is special in that it develops from like the vulnerability of the concussive state. So when you get hit more when there's more trauma, that's really when CTE becomes a factor. And boxing is about getting concussions and then still <laughs> still fighting more and in MMA that happens of course but in MMA it's also much more common for things to end um after a big concussion so and plus the training i think is less getting hit in the head focused even though it's still happening a ton but that that's like the popular argument i'm sure case by case you can break it down but so you you've had a career of that you've had two careers of that essentially um and now you're old and your brain is way more vulnerable, not even close to the same, you know, question. Like if you, if you have old people in your life, if they like fall down weird, they're going to like break their hip. If they have any sort of impact and don't even hit their head, they get brain trauma. Um, it just happens. Like it's, it's very easy to get brain trauma when you're older. Um, your body is not as protected and he's not like old, old, but in, you know, <laughs> having, pretty old having a boxing career will definitely weigh you down and like he's almost i don't know if they changed the age but he can almost collect social security so it's 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 serious like he should not be 
fighting and they moved the event to Florida because that was the only athletic commission in the United States, or I guess around that would sanction it. And, um, they shouldn't have, they shouldn't have. And, um, MMA fans and combat sports fans are used to defending fighting, um, as something that is unethical inherently, you, you might say, um, they, they're used to being saying like, Oh, they both, that they, they agreed to do it. Like whatever happens, happens. I'm like, this is going to sound like, um, like an SJW or whatever you guys don't John like. John McCain. No, no, worse, worse than John McCain. <laughs> a Democrat. Uh, uh, this is going to sound like, it's probably going to piss some people off, but, uh, consent is a pretty complicated topic. And Evander Holyfield at his age with everything he's been through. And, you know, if the stories are true and that he is, you know, handicapped in some way, he can't really consent to what hit, what happened to him. And of course, in the fight, he got concussed. You know, he got knocked out, um, not out, out like Tito, but he got knocked out and he got hurt before he got knocked out. So it was like a sustained period of him taking a lot of blows and he took a lot in the gloves. And I'm telling you at that age with everything that happened to him, he probably got brain damage from taking hits on the gloves. Like for real, Vitor hits hard. That's all Vitor knows to do at this point is, is hit hard. Um, it just, it, it's so wrong. It's really wrong. Um, the damage from one fight at this point is equal to innumerable fights at, at a younger age. Um, it, it's, it's really, really sad. And, you know, people can do what they want with their lives. But like I said, at some point, can you really consent to it? And are you willing to be a party to make that happen for, you know, selling your, your event or whatever. Um, it's, I think it's beyond unethical. I think it's something that shouldn't legally be allowed to happen. And I don't know the law very well. Um, but that's the kind of thing that needs to end. And just, you know, I know I've been talking a while, sure. Um, but the co-main event I feel is the same thing. Um, it's really the same thing and it's not the first time it's happened. And, you know, with Tito Ortiz, you also had the Golden Boy event where he fought Chuck yeah, Liddell. Chuck Liddell yeah. And um, Chuck Liddell, they a documentary crew. There was a documentary about Chuck versus Tito, and it was leading up to the to that fight. Um, and they like showed him training, and they showed him like getting medicals. He had to get second opinions from other doctors, and like he couldn't move his arms. He couldn't like move like a normal person, and they put him in a in a fight <laughs> and he, he got knocked out because Tito is still capable of throwing a punch. Um, and that's all that was necessary. Like Tito threw maybe one or two punches the whole fight. And as soon as one landed, Chuck was done. Um, he could not take one and he could not throw any, um, he could not move. And it was just, it was so, it was, he was clearly delusional. Um, no one around him should have let that happen. And no one should have, let that happen from the professional standpoint. Like it shouldn't have been allowed. And then, so fast forward now it's Tito in those, uh, in you know, that same situation. Uh, here's my hottest take. Sure. Um, and I've said this privately before. I don't know if I've said it publicly before, uh, but I truly believe that Tito Ortiz is, is a disabled person. And I know that's a very funny thing to say. Um, but I don't mean it like that. I don't mean yeah. it to be funny. I mean, that he has a disability an intellectual disability and he probably has his whole life. And it's been clearly very seriously exacerbated by a career of brain damage. Um, and I don't even know how much brain damage he's been getting his entire life, really. Um, but I mean, like the things he says, people, you know, pray for his downfall because he's like super right wing and like he's a conspiracy theorist and was elected to city council of Huntington Beach. And like, which is just one of the most insane things that's ever happened, in my opinion. Um, so you, you root against him because he's 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 dumb and he has bad opinions. He's not right in the head. It's not the same. It's not the same um, as a person who can be reasonable, arriving at the same conclusions and and using their platform in that way. Um, he <laughs> he's rich and famous because he you know had his MMA career, but that doesn't mean that he's a. a able a, a person of sound mind um and i think it's very obvious because he can't put a sentence together and he used to be able to people are like oh he's always been dumb yes but he like you could tell the difference <laughs> uh 
very clearly. So same thing. I don't think Tito Ortiz is someone who can consent um, to being in a fight. And uh, his knockout was so much worse. Uh, Not just the way he went down, but he got hit super clean on the counter um, and got hit like three more times before he he went down. Um, which again, as we said, it's the subconcussive blows that are really dangerous. And then he smacked his head off the ground, um, which is also really terrible. So whatever condition he's in now, that's so much worse. And um, it's just really criminal that this stuff gets to happen. Um, and I really don't buy the consenting adults argument because I really don't think at this point, some of these people are, can really consent. Um, and there needs to be responsible actors around them or or people who can intervene and stop this stuff. And like the Florida athletic commission um, should be investigated. <laughs> I think um, any, anyone that, that allows this stuff to happen. I mean, it's elder abuse, essentially. Um, I don't know if they qualify as elders in the law, but that's the same thing that it is, is you're taking, advantage of, yeah. you're taking advantage of people. Um, and it's just, it's just not even remotely the same as any other sanctioned combat sports. Um, and yeah, it just, it makes me so sick. It makes me so sick. Um, and I know I did this same thing where I got on my soapbox or whatever about Julian Arosa fighting two months after he got knocked out and he won. Uh, but guess what? He got concussed in his fight too. Um, and you let that happen. It's like, oh, cool. He got a win at what cost? Now, how much shorter is his career going to be? How much shorter is his life going to be because of that? Was that worth it? Um, his decision, he, he is someone I would consider a consenting adult, but um, at a certain point, you should be able to save people from themselves and help them make smart decisions. Um, cause if you want to have a career, then you should be smarter than that. Um, so yeah, like, uh, I know not everybody agrees with this train of thought, but I I'm very serious, um, about this. And I guess my call to action is don't watch it. Don't watch it. Um, don't pirate it. Don't stream it. Don't buy it. Don't talk about it. Don't post about it unless it's like, this should never happen. I'm mad, whatever. Um, that's really the only case I could see it being okay to even mention it. Um, I know it's funny. It's very funny, but it's also terrible. And uh, you can you can simultaneously hold both beliefs that this is so ridiculous that it's hilarious, uh, but also it should stop. Um, you can think both things. Uh, so I don't know. What do you think? Yeah, I don't have a whole lot to add, uh, in terms of the Jake Paul and Logan Paul stuff. It's kind of just an experiment in terms of like, how far can people who can afford the most resources get in boxing? If that makes sense. Like it's kind of just an mm-hmm. experiment in that sense. Like it's not anything serious. Uh, and yeah, I mean, fighting Ben Askren and Tyron Woodley, that's fine. Uh, as much as I've shit on Woodley over the last couple of years, he is still a fighter in the strictest of terms. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's it. Uh, in terms of the consenting adults thing, I think even aside from the whole, you know, they've taken enough brain trauma to probably not have the ability to meaningfully consent thing. There's also the idea of financial independence, like the way that these careers pay fighters often yeah. don't have the ability to have like a real choice. Um, it, it's the equivalent of like going up to a poor person and asking them to do anything for money at that point. Yeah. Like it, even if they did have the mental capacity to consent, it's basically under duress. It, it doesn't make any sense uh, if with people. Like, I don't know what the financial situation of these specific people are. Keep in mind. I don't know whether like Evander Holyfield, like blew all his savings or something. I don't know how that works. Could but, just be ego. Hard to tell. Yeah, it's possible, but it's also like the way that the sport is structured. Um, boxing, it's tougher to say just cause like if you, get it get to a point where people know your name you've probably made a good deal of money but someone like tito ortiz or someone like even tyron woodley after a certain point who did have some um not famous but like some notable money issues at some point yeah he said he blew it all yeah yeah it after that point it's tough to really say that it's a consenting adults argument when like how the this is all they know right and if you're putting them in a position where they're like hey either be poor or do this stupid thing it's, they're not really choosing to do the stupid thing out of sound mind. They're choosing to do the stupid thing out of desperation. Um, so that's the other side of that. I mean, it's, it's the same side, but another way to get to that side, I suppose. Um, but yeah, I don't really have anything to add. I think that was a lot to add. Uh, yeah, I, I suppose. <laughs> um, but yeah, I kind of just like, it's tough to blame the fighters in these circumstances. As I mm-hmm. said before, it's like, if you're 
if the point is that they've taken enough damage that they don't have the ability to make these choices, which is, a, I think that's a fair point. I, obviously, you can't blame them for that. Like, that's not under their control. They've had a long career. Um, the people around them, you can blame them. The promoters, you can definitely blame them. That's who I'd blame first, in fact. Um, but I don't know. I don't really know if there's a real solution, just because, like, by definition, the old people are the people that people are most familiar with. Because mm-hmm. uh, they've been around for long enough that you're like, hey, I've seen this guy in a lot of cards, which is like it's the same reason we've seen the UFC, right? It's not nearly as bad, but you're still seeing guys like Tony Ferguson up at number six for no reason because there's like he's been around and he's no longer near where he was, but he's just a person that they know, so better put him in somewhere that he can fight, uh, where he still wants to fight and where people are going to watch him fight. It's ruthlessly callously very clearly exploitative mm-hmm. um, but it's just hidden under the fact that the entire sport is exploitative in right. some respect right. uh, so i don't know uh it's it's definitely a bizarre situation we live in a weird time um probably right before all this gets made illegal and like you can't <laughs> celebrity box at the same time as collecting a social security check like that that should be a rule i think it's probably going to be a rule soon enough uh but you know the promoters will stop that from happening as long as they can um so yeah have fun with that yeah deregulation uh happened recently um and i think <laughs> things are trending towards more regulation but probably not in this zone and i think um it's going to take a really serious labor movement in not just MMA, MMA needs it the, the most because there is none and they're exploited proportionately the most. Um, you know, never, never forget like of all the other things, of all the ways that um, the UFC or even other promotions have, you know, treated fighters poorly in, in some way or another. The biggest thing is the revenue share percentage. It's a uh, 16% and it's been 16% the whole time. And, uh, Every other major sports league, 40, 50%. Um, So that's what you need to know is that it's, like you said, exploitative by nature, but the degrees of exploitation uh, definitely vary. And some things you just, you really, there's no gray area. You really need to to have have some, you have to draw a line somewhere. Um, Yeah. Like the, the excuse that people like me actually make for these sorts of things, that at least it's a good fight. This isn't that. No. This shit's useless. It doesn't make any sense. No. There's no reason to have it. It's just a cash like, grab. Yeah. Like, yeah, if if we were having these old man fights that were like, okay, it's killing these people, but obviously the product is way better. It's like the meth of combat sports, then fine. But it's not that. It's it's awful. It, it It's not even good. And it's just killing these people for absolutely no reason. Like, I'm, I've long been the kind of person who's like, I don't care who they are as people. But at this point, it's not, it's not worth it. It genuinely isn't. There, yeah. There's no reason to do it. It's a whole different. It's a whole different argument than like caring about fight, who fighters are as people, like whether or not you root for them. This yeah. is like, are you cool with people who are essentially, you know? Are you cool with old man street fights? No, <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Yeah, I can't complete my thought, but <laughs> I've said I've said enough. But anyway, so there, there's my soapbox rant. Uh, this isn't always that kind of podcast, but. Know, it's really been bothering me. So I wanted to get that out there and it's going to keep happening. So better now to let you know where I stand on the issue. And hopefully uh, you will come to agree with me over time if you do not already. And um, I really can't be talked out of it. So <laughs> you can try, but uh, it's not going to work. Anyway, speaking of exploitation, uh, Contender Series was tonight. Uh, there were there were some good fights. Uh, a lot of A lot of prospects that I've heard of before. Um, shout out to to my friend uh, Michael Fidel, who works with the Dodge Sports Agency. Um, he he keeps me in the loop with a lot of prospects because his agency scoops them up really quick. Um, so uh, one one of his people, uh, Jasmine uh, Jesudevicious, I think I said that right. Um, she's a, a wrestler actually. Uh, she won her fight. Uh, she almost got like cardio toughness bullied uh, by this girl uh, Julia Palastri, but she uh, she had a really dominant first round and uh, just kind of jabbed her up on the outside and dealt with her offense. And yeah, I mean, uh, she's a one twenty five er So who knows? <laughs> yeah. That way there, but she's yeah, a good that, athlete. Yeah. That way just needs people for Shevchenko. I've seen just vicious name on Twitter a couple times. Not really like 
connected her to anything. Probably from so Michael. Like, <laughs> yeah, probably. Uh, so, you know, like yeah. nothing really to add, but cool that 125 has someone, I guess. Mm-hmm. Next fight, though. Um, this caught my attention. Um, so I'm, I'm a fan of nuance. Uh, not that like, I'm, I like nuance obviously, but I mean, I'm the way that I am a fan is nuanced. Um, and yes, I like good fighters. I like fighters who I think like that person could make some waves in the division and go far. And I really like what they do. And they're, they, they're a good example of X, Y, and Z in MMA. Uh, Jack Della Madalena it has a little bit of that. Um, he definitely has things that he does that I, that I really do like. Um, but mostly he's just really fun. And it's one of those things where you can kind of laugh at, uh, the way someone operates because you're like, wow, that is ridiculous. <laughs> like, but you are making it work. Um, and that's kind of how I felt about his fight against this fella. Uh, I don't know how it's pronounced, but Lusa, Lusa? it might yeah. be Lusa. He was decent too. Um, he was decent. He he had some skills. He didn't really have any like clear advantages, but he was just decent all around. Uh, but Jack Della Madalena is a southpaw boxer who uh, throws these really weird, tight, ugly punches, but they are <laughs> tight. Um, and his hands are just stupid heavy. And he really, his like athletic type really reminds me of Ian Heinish. So this is like if Ian Heinish was a boxer and not a wrestler, uh, it was just like really aggressive and like super confident in his approach. And yeah, he just puts some, together some really cool combinations. He knows how to work a high guard. Uh, he knows how to bang on the body. Um, he is showing like counter elbows, uh, can move his head actually pretty well. Um, <laughs> had a pretty high percentage of, uh, evasion just from what I saw. And of course, a lot of the time he was just like storming through the pocket, throwing combinations and he got clipped a little bit, but his chin's crazy. Um, it like, it really reminded me of like a bad version of, uh, you know, that that period right in the right in the beginning of when Justin Gaethje got to the UFC after World Series of Fighting, where he really started to figure out like defense um, and was applying it to being super aggressive and crazy. It's like that. It's a really nice blend of being skilled defensively and being really aggressive. He's not nearly that good, but uh, it's at a higher weight class. It's at 170, uh, so you get a little bit more breathing room there. And yeah, he just like really seemed to understand his attributes. Really seemed committed to his approach. Um, and sure, I'm sure you noticed a bunch of things that you liked too about, cause that's, that's your kind of guy is Southpaw boxer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, I watched mostly just the clips. I'm going to catch up on the fight later, like the whole thing. Um, but I watched the Twitter clips and they were pretty cool. Um, I liked how he started throwing that left hook to the body as he brought the high guard up off his rear hand. Uh, lots of really nice work in the high guard with like the path of his rear hand, where at one point, like threw the left hook to the body and then immediately showed like another body shot, but came up with the uppercut, which was super nice. Um, Lots of rear hooking and rear straighting. I like doing. I like guys who do that. You know, widening the guard and uh, taking advantage of that, or like hooking around it. At one point, he like fell through his right hand and then turned it into a shift, like he was Dustin Poirier. <laughs> that was really weird because like it almost seemed accidental. Like he threw his right hand, but like just with this ugly form, like a Kelvin Gastelum right hand, and then he just turned it into a uh, into a two three from the opposite stance, like it was intentional, which I support. But, like, that's cool uh, for a contender series guy. Uh, I've long been, like, I can't be convinced that guys right off the contender series have any sort of real depth or, like, process or anything like that. So, like, seeing them do one cool thing, that's enough for me. That would um, require, like, research as to who the opponent is, and that's just too much. <laughs> exactly. Like, if they're getting signed, it's probably off a dominant performance or a fun performance, the sort of thing that you're not really going to see anything about their skill set, right? Like, even the guys off contender series who were like good for contender series, like someone like Jeff Neal. We quickly saw that Jeff Neal is good in Jeff Neal fights and not good in Neil Magny fights somehow. So like contender series, it's, it's always going to trick you. So you keeping your expectations low is the way to do it. And I think this guy's, he's pretty fun. I'd like to see him do more. Um, he's like five or six years into his career. I think he had an Amy fight in 2015 and his first pro fight in 2016. So not super far into his career, not like, enough like he's not like new enough that you're like uh, you know this guy not really being good at throwing punches that's something that he's going to fix for sure uh like it, mechanically it's pretty ugly he was throwing like these rear hooks but like with the the inside of his fist like it looked like he was going to break his fingers but like enough that his good ideas might actually turn into something um and you know if he was at a higher weight class i'd be pretty psyched for him like in general in terms of results like middleweight light heavyweight heavyweight i think this guy would be pretty promising welterweight it's tougher because you need more 
but he could definitely be a thing. Like we watched D Rod go from random <laughs> jobber to actual like pseudo contender. So it, it's possible. Mm-hmm. And as we saw with Darren Tilly, you can go pretty far without actually having your wrestling grappling tested too much. Yeah. Um, and I mean, he did wrestle and grapple in this fight mm-hmm. and I wasn't particularly impressed by anything I saw. In fact, I was discouraged by a lot of that I saw, but he's a guy that knows how to use his super strength in those situations. And, um, yeah, he did it pretty well. And there was one point where he was in an arm triangle. Lusa was in side control with his arm control, arm triangle. And, um, De- Della Madalena was like, Oh, I'm good. And then just like turned and strong his way up to his feet out of the arm triangle. I'm like, all right, all right. Like you get it. Um, Very so, cool. I don't know. Like I don't really expect him to do too much in the division, but I expect him to be around for a bit. And um, he'll have at least a few fights, and I think they're going to be fun. And uh, I think he's going to do some some memorable memorable things. Um, but skipping the heavyweights, talk to me about Albert Durayev. Right, uh, Durayev, double champ in ACA, uh, welterweight and middleweight, so. Um... Pretty solid, to say the least. I mean, middleweight around the world isn't that great, but welterweight at ACA is pretty solid. It's had some decent guys, guys like uh, Berkamov. Um, but, yeah, Duraev, uh, he... This fight was off a three-year layoff, so that's what worried me the most coming into this, because the guy he was fighting was kind of nothing, a guy named Kayo Betancourt. i never seen him before. Probably a lot better than he showed in this fight, because Duraev is, like, pretty scary as a wrestler. But... Derive just got to his win condition immediately, didn't really bother striking after, like, eating a low kick. Uh, he just, you know, went after him, cage wrestled him, uh, got to the body lock, got to mount right off the body lock, just, like, you know, turned the corner and just got to him, um, controlled the wrist and hit him with, like, these tiny shots to make him move and took the back and choked him out. So pretty simple win for him. Uh, he has a bunch of better wins, obviously, but I'm glad to see him in the UFC. Uh, you know, I, I think he was expressly waiting for the UFC call for, like, that three years. Uh, I heard that somewhere, like, I read in an article or something, he, like, stopped fighting in ACA just so the UFC would come calling, and, like, the UFC was like, you know, maybe I'll just wait and <laughs> put you on this 10-10 when you're really desperate to fight. And it worked out, so, you know, the UFC, or, like, you know, the sport exploits the old, the sport exploits the young, the sport exploits everyone in the middle. Exploits uh, the Russians. <laughs> yeah, it exploits everybody. It's really equal opportunity, the most egalitarian sport there is. So, yeah, Duraev should go far. Uh, if he's, I believe he's fighting a middleweight. So, mm-hmm. you know, he called out Adesanya. Uh, so he should go very far. He should fight uh, him immediately, I think. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he could just beat up Darren Till right now. Why mm-hmm. not? Uh, another former welterweight. British so, you shooting know. doubles whenever and it works. Like, yeah, <laughs> why not? <laughs> yeah. So fair enough. I mean, I guess everyone still needs to be scared of his smile off moving over, but Duraev is fun in, in his own right. I heard there's a guy named Gazanov, but I don't think he exists. I've heard of him too. I haven't seen any of them. <laughs> um, co-main, you could call it. Uh, my guy, Mo Miller, is the only winner of the Contender Series this season to not get a contract. Um, and the heavyweight did get one, which is just so rude. Um, Terrible. Yeah, Mo, Mo had, by his standards, a bad fight, I would say. He dominated. He won every round. It wasn't hard. Uh, but he had a bad fight. Like He, uh, he was very... Uh, he shied away from leading on the feet and he seemed to have a really hard time with this guy just low kicking um, and moving him back and low kicking. And he was like really concerned with like, I need to avoid every low kick um, and like wouldn't move forward as much. And just, yeah, it seemed a little low energy, a little flat. I mean, still took him down every round. Still too, was on top of him most of every round, still beat him up on the feet when he actually threw um, hands looked heavy. Um, yeah, everything looked good when he, when he did stuff. Um, he just wasn't really doing as much as I'm used to seeing, wasn't as aggressive as I'm used to seeing, you know, pace was lower. Everything was, was less. Um, and I noticed pretty quickly that he looked, I, I, I think he was like easing himself into it, but like halfway, you know, close to the end of the first round, I'm like, he's still going pretty slow. Um, so I figured that wasn't his, his <laughs> best effort, but yeah, he, he still did some cool stuff. He, uh, he chained really well off some of his shots. Um, he hit a really nice reactive double at the end where he turned the corner on it super well, finished easily. Um, I like that body combo into the shot. Yeah, the he, he rocked yeah. this guy with the jab, like step in jab, rocked him, and then came in crazy uppercut to the body, like three punch body combination. And, then, you know, looks looked up high and then and doubled him against the cage. Easy takedown. Uh, you know, the other guy really didn't offer him much in any capacity. Uh, so it was a pretty one-sided affair, but yeah, it just wasn't his best. Um, he's, he's normally very aggressive and, and damaging and, uh, you know, 
dynamic in, in every way. But yeah, this was very slow, slow performance from him. Uh, I've seen all of his fights <laughs> at pro and amateur. I've seen most of his wrestling matches. Uh, I've seen a lot from him. So I know him very well. I interviewed him. I've talked to him plenty of times. Um, so I know what he's about. So I, I figured something was off. And then in his interview, he's like, yeah, I, I didn't really like my performance. Uh, I felt my, my body didn't feel right. And then uh, Laura Sanko was followed up with him. I was like, well, what do you mean by that? And he's like, oh, and she's like, do you mean like adrenaline dump? He's like, maybe, but no, it's like, I don't think I ate enough. And I was like sitting around back there for a long time. So I think it was just like the timing of, he was off, he was off his, uh, his routine, which I totally get. Um, yeah, yeah. You, you definitely have to be able to deal with stuff like that, but um, like just, it just goes to show it wasn't really him. Um, and yeah, it was, it was a little boring. Uh, he, he just, he did some lay and pray at, at, at a few points and Dana White didn't like that, obviously. Um, and he was like, yeah, Stipe has been like selling me on this guy. Like, so I want to give him a shot. And like, I think he's good, uh, but he's not ready. And I can get why you would feel like that from that fight. Cause it seemed like he wasn't experienced enough to open up, but it really wasn't that because I mean, he's had no problem opening up against better fighters than that. I've seen him fight pe- people that are better than that and, and beat him up. So um, I get the rationale, but it is kind of silly because everyone else has gotten a contract and I'm sure there were worse performances than that. Um, so, you know, whatever. He just wanted to break the streak. Uh, yeah, I think it's <laughs> mostly just kind of a deal of like, I'm fine with a guy who's 6-0 not getting a contract to yeah. the UFC, believe it or not. Like, it's fine in general. It's just a weird standard to hold. Yeah. 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 It's fine. Uh, but yeah, he, he uh, just with regard to like evaluating him for people who are like, oh, he's older. He's older, but like he's 29, but he hasn't fighting that long um he hasn't really been hit <laughs> very much uh so he, he he'll be fine like he's very young in his career he has a ton of longevity ahead of him like don't worry about his age uh too much i mean he, he was a late bloomer like he didn't start wrestling until a little later he didn't start fighting until a little later like it's all he he, he learns quickly he's already so he's he, he knows a lot <laughs> and uh you know just interviewing him i know he gets it um he gets the game he understands transitions uh he knows how to you know blend striking and wrestling so um, and you saw it you saw that he knows that so i have no worries i just you know it would have been nice if he got in right away but uh they'll probably be looking to schedule him for another fight on the contender series but what's more likely is that he'll be sitting for that to happen and then someone will drop out of a fight and he'll step in on short notice and like fight a featherweight um and we'll see we'll see how that goes uh i don't really like the idea but that that happens so often and he doesn't seem like the type to turn it down so yeah They'll probably get him on like LFA or something, one of the feeder mm. leagues. That's my guess. Yeah, he's fought there before. Yeah. So mm-hmm. like that's that's a decent place to develop at least. I don't really see a huge issue with it when you're not gonna be fighting like I don't think this was the sort of fight where if we you know, we're probably gonna buy the fact that he's just off, like having yeah. an off night, it yeah. does happen. Um and contender series isn't really a place where you're getting like big steps up in competition, like face guys who are gonna limit you. So it's just it happens and like getting more time to develop it's always a good thing at this stage of someone's mm-hmm. career uh but main event any takes i don't really see much <laughs> it was goofy. guy fought stupid <laughs> yeah was, it was goofy um the this bad guy, aca uh, guy jailton uh almeida he um they were talking about him beforehand They're like yeah this guy's a striker but he's been like he's been really focusing on his grappling and trying to become like a top player and like being becoming a grappler and like he wants to be habib I'm like, okay, fair play. Become Khabib. Um, and he fought uh, Nasruddin Nasruddinov, who I think is a grappler, but um, more of like an Imovov type grappler who uh, <laughs> isn't that physical. Um, so you're used to all these Caucasus guys being like, you know, really physical fighters, like very strong and pace driven and everything like that. Not, not the type. Um, <laughs> so you have this huge uh, light heavyweight, like crazy physique, ripped, gigantic. Uh, shoots shoots a really explosive double from space right off the bat uh is taking this guy down gets ushimata is on his back for a while uh scrambles up like tries i think tries to get a body lock gets the body lock gets reversed again ends up on his back again i'm like this guy needs to stop this um, <laughs> like this is not working um and then he shot again late in the round and ended up like holding the guy down and he just kept kept body locking him just kept driving him back and body locking him and i'm like all right Nasruddinov uh, is pretty shallow. Like, and, like he didn't hold up physically very well. This is a very strong guy he was fighting, but um, just not not what you were expecting. Um, I, I didn't really have expectations for Nasruddinov. I didn't assume he was good just because he was Russian, like some of you. <laughs> some of you do that. Um, but 
yeah, it was just funny that they it was like it wasn't working and then it started working very well. And I was like, all right, you know, fair enough, persistence. And uh he was very charismatic in his post-fight interview and he danced and he sang and he kept saying that I'm Khabib. And then he said some weird racist stuff about his gym. I mean, I guess it's okay to be racist to yourself. Uh, but yeah, he's like, oh yeah, everyone in my gym's an animal. You throw a banana in there and you're like, we're all fighting for it. And like, we're going to come out on top. And I'm like, hmm, hmm, I see. I, I couldn't say that about your gym, but I guess you can. Uh, I guess you could say that. Uh, so I think uh, people are going to like him a lot because of his personality. And uh, I don't know. He, he he's he's active he's aggressive so i wasn't like really impressed but it was uh it was noteworthy he's a light heavyweight so i don't know maybe maybe it'll work out yeah i mean being aggressive usually you're enough still there. laughing about the banana i'm sorry yeah. <laughs> it's funny uh but yeah i'm also laughing about like the ufc grabbing one of the aca like you there there were two aca guys on this one mm-hmm. they got one of the good ones but like they didn't really bother doing their research on the other one, so they just got this random yeah, guy like with good two record, first names. Whatever. Yeah, it's just <laughs> Nasruddin, Nasruddinov. Just uh, even the guys who knew a lot about ACA, they they don't know who this guy is. So it's just it's uh, it's bad. It's really bad. Uh, but you know, not if they could talent scout to start with, they wouldn't have this show. So there's that. But um, uh, yeah, I think that's pretty much it for this one. Yeah. Uh, couple decent signings for contender series standards this was a, a good show uh Durayev showed out um mo miller did pretty well i mean all by contender series standards he did, yeah. he did very well you gotta win um yeah <laughs> and we found another fun gatekeeper type maybe uh, in uh, jack jack dm yep <laughs> jack della i'm not gonna go for the last name jack della works for me um yeah Madalena. Yeah, All right. I'm, I'm um, hardly the one to judge people for long last names <laughs> starting with M. So enjoy that one. Smithy Dan. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right, let's let's get the Smith Span thing over with. Uh, it's over already. Here's what I want to do. I want to go from the bottom of the card to the top and just point out some things that I think are worth watching. Um, I like Impa Kasangane. I know he was on the receiving end of a meme knockout uh, from uh, Joaquin Buckley, but I think he's better than Joaquin Buckley, and I think he isn't proving it yet. I think he looked good in his Hughes contender series. I think he looked good in his contender series yeah. fight. I think he looked good before he got knocked out by, by Buckley. Um, his win over, I think, Palatnikov, uh, who he beat? Yeah. Yeah, it was. That wasn't he so good. choked him, right? Um, yeah. That was really sloppy, uh, but he's very strong. Mm-hmm. But anyway, he's been with Hoof for a while, and I think he's, I think he's good. And I like him. He's fighting Carlson Harris, who's a grappler. Um, Carlson Harris had a really cool, it was either a Darcy or Anaconda setup. Uh, basically, he uh, he had the grip and he hit this nice, um, like when you when you roll through an Anaconda choke, uh, you should kick your feet through and hit like a really hard like gator roll, basically, to put them on their side or put them on their back and you step over and get the leg or whatever. He um, He hit like a little, not like a full roll, but like, uh, threw the leg through and, and came to his hip to put the other fighter on their hip and it gave him the space to get the lock and then he did it again and then he got the uh the choke so it was a cool setup i i like i like him as a grappler um so it should be a cool fight and they're both uh strong um so it could be like one of those weird ones but um i don't know i like it do you have any thoughts on that one uh, not really i haven't really seen either that much i remember uh Kasanga and I buckley being kind of fun uh, Buckley doing his usual like blitzy strong guy thing before the uh, the finish, which I mean, finish doesn't really say a ton about either guy. Mm-hmm. So you know, just weird stuff that no one could expect. So yeah, I mean, middleweight needs people who are good at things. I guess Harris or, is fine. So you know, not not a ton of takes. Haven't seen either, but I'll watch this one. Mm-hmm. Um, the fight after that is a, a women's flyweight fight. Uh, this woman, Erin Blanchfield, is fighting. I don't have anything to say about her, but I've I've heard that people think she's a good prospect. So um, if you're if you're like, oh, should I watch that one? Yeah, why not? Um, see 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 what she's got. Uh, I'll check it out. Maybe. Yeah, I know there's <laughs> someone in the Discord saying that she's good. So like, you mm-hmm. know, fine. For sure. Uh, Montel Jackson, JP Bays might be watchable. <laughs> They're wrestlers. Um, I'm not sure. Uh, Seems like kind of a mismatch, right? Uh, Jackson's huge. 
Yeah. Bays got cross countered. Was he the one who got cross countered by Bulldog? Yeah, I think Bruno Bulldog knocked him out. Yeah. Yeah, that was, I mean, that was cool. And Bulldog's fine. And I don't really rate Jackson, but Jackson seems massive and Bulldog Mm -hmm. seems very small. Yeah, I'm not sure. I don't, (laughs) I'm not really in the business making predictions about it. Just, uh, it's happening. I know them. Yeah. Uh, Tony, uh, I don't know if it's gravely or gravely, but Tony gravely's fighting. He, uh, he wrestled, uh, he's from Virginia and he's a wrestler. Um, did he wrestle D one? I think he did. Yeah. He, uh, he went to app state. Do you go somewhere else? No, he went to app state. He was decent. Um, but yeah, I, I get, I get him on, on the timeline cause of, uh, a couple of people in the wrestling world that are connected to him. So shout out and shout out Tony. Uh, he got a nice, uh, nice knockout recently. Uh, yeah, I remember watching him. Uh, I forget who it was against, but striking looked actually kind of fine for a wrestler. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, I, uh, did he fight Brett Johns? I seem to remember that. I feel like he fought Brett Johns. Perhaps. I could, I could like simply click on his name and find yeah. out. Uh, uh, I'm going I'm to see if he fought Brett Johns. He did. He lost. Okay. Third round yeah. submission. Oh, yeah. And I remember it was a really grindy wrestling fight where he like gassed out. Yeah, I, I get that. Brett Johns is tough to beat that way. Yeah. Um, skipping a few. Uh, well, Buckley is fighting. I, I really don't have thoughts Not on him right now. Yeah. Um, but then probably the most important fight in the card is a, which is funny because it's really not an important fight. Uh, <laughs> is Armand Sirukian versus uh, Christos Yagos, who are both people that I enjoy watching. Um, I think they're both fighters worth caring at least a little bit about uh, Suriki and more. Um, but pe- people really like Suriki. And so we can talk about it. Um, Yagos is a wrestle boxer. Suriki is kind of a wrestle boxer as well. More of a wrestle kicker. He's a, yeah. He's an anti wrestle kicker. Yeah. I don't know what he is. <laughs> um, but yeah, Dan Tom and I talked about this fight on, on his podcast. And basically my summation was that Suriki is somebody who has a lot of skills um, in isolated areas, but his process doesn't really lend to, maximizing them uh which you know that's my critique of him as someone that like i don't think is going to become a really high rank guy in the division or isn't going to trouble the people that are really good in the division uh just because like with the, the islam makachev fight that was him being skilled in the areas that makachev was taking the fight but he couldn't do anything to make the fight more in his wheelhouse you know what i mean he couldn't enforce yeah. anything um at all he was reacting it was all reaction so when he's like <coughs> default, it's just him on the feet being outside kicky, um, which he's decent at, but not in a way that's like really threatening or he's going to do a lot of damage or make a big difference in the fight if there's someone that's pushing their thing on him. And, you know, he's relatively young, so this can all change. That's just kind of how I see him right now. Obviously a very skilled grappler uh, and a pretty skilled wrestler, um, better grappler than wrestler, I'd say at this point, um, and very physical, very strong. So like he's someone you could turn into someone with a, a more elite style, but I just think his approach is limiting him right now. And he, I think he needs to be able to put his hands together in a more uh, meaningful way. Uh, I think he needs to hit people hard with his fists and that's uh, not totally something he does yet. And uh, I'm not sure if that will happen. And Yagos, I think is someone who has a pretty simple game, um, but meets, meets my standards. I mean, he, he can, box a little he can wrestle a decent amount he can grapple a decent amount um most of his losses have been to people who are just better than him at stuff um which is like oh isn't that how mma always works <laughs> no it's not always how it works sometimes it's how it works um he did lose to car close which is like hmm, maybe you shouldn't uh but and, and before that he lost to Oliveira and he lost in like acb like four years ago so um he's decent he beat demir hajovic uh he wrestled him uh, he beat uh, Hirota. I don't remember what happened there. And Soriano, uh, that fight was sloppy, but he took him down a bunch and submitted him, which, you know, that's what that's how Soriano loses. But it's still, you know, Yagos has been winning fights and I don't mind him at all. And I think that'll be a good fight. And I think it'll be a lot closer uh, than like their levels should allow it to be because I think Sergin is much better than Yagos. But again, he's very reactionary and I don't think he has much that he can push um, typically but maybe this will be a different one where he says like, okay, I'm much better than this guy. I'm going to go out there. I'm going to enforce my thing and maybe I'll take him down and I'll, I'll top game him. I think that would be a good look. Yeah. I don't think there's necessarily like a huge step down in competition for Sarkian necessarily. It's just not a step up. (laughs) Yeah. It's like at this point he should be fighting into the rankings at least. 
Um, I don't, I've never been as high on Surikin as a lot of people. I think he's like fine, but it's what you said, right? It's with Makhachev. I think that kind of inflated what people think about like the abilities to which he'd be able to enforce his game against other lightweights because like given a wrestling fight, he was able to wrestle super well. That was a great fight. Uh, both guys looked really good. Makhachev just kind of ended up in better wrestling positions where, um, there were like a ton of great scrambles and Sarikin did like a ton of cool defensive things. Makhachev had to work really hard to end up in those positions I had a lot of cool clinching things, but it wasn't the sort of fight where Sarkin was ever really tested on whether he'd be able to do things. Makachev just didn't let him take initiative. Uh, we saw in subsequent fights, OAM, he struggled, which is like fine. OAM brings ugly fights out of, every, out of like everybody, but it's also not great because OAM is also, he's like the same sort of fighter, right? Yeah. If you do things to him, he can like defend them. Uh, he's a good defensive wrestler. He can like keep guys off his hips with like knees and stuff, but he was beaten by just sheer aggression on the on you know what, by though, Hernandez. Yeah, he, uh, he's fixed that. Now he's in the World Series, of, not World Series of Fighting. <laughs> PFL, PFL yeah. same thing. Uh, he's like he's doing cool, uh, cool open stance boxing stuff. He's uh, he's developed a more offensive striking game, and like he's been able to hurt people in striking situations before. But now he has like something he can apply more consistently. So it's possible for anyone. Yeah, I mean, at least in the UFC, that's how it worked for OAM. Like, I wasn't completely sure he lost to Hernandez, but that's the danger of playing that sort of game, right? Enthusiasm looks good. Mm -hmm. Reactions don't look as good. Even if you're counterpunching well, it doesn't look all that good to judges. If you're counterpunching kind of haphazardly, it doesn't yeah. <laughs> look good at all. Uh, so that's the danger. Um, Davi, uh, Davi Hamosh, that's a decent win. I don't really think it's as special as a lot of people think because, like, Hamosh is a grappler, hasn't really adapted his game to MMA super well, never really learned to strike all that well, and uh, there were there was a point where he was like pretending to be Roy Jones Jr., drawing out a head kick and just <laughs> ate it, which, like, okay, you landed it, that's cool, but, uh, you know, like, Sarkin looks like a dexterous kicker who can wrestle pretty well, but nothing really to show that he can really enforce his game on people who don't want it to happen. Yagos looks like a strong fighter, decent striking. He got pieced up a bit by Soriano early, if I remember correctly, but uh, sort of outlasted him, which is funny because I remember Drakkar Close outlasting uh, Yagos. Mm. Like it was a super wrestling fight, and Close just was there for longer. It like this at least one huge lift and just like dropped him. So that was cool. But yeah, I don't really I have much of a take Jakar on this Close, fight. Like doing a thing in a fight ever. Yeah, that's that <laughs> lift is the only thing I remember other than him dying against Benil Dariush. Uh, and you know the uh, the David Tamer fight. I remember. All the things he didn't doing, do in that time. Doing fight. nothing the whole yeah. time. And then convincing Herb Dean to warn uh, David Tamer, who was the only one doing anything. <laughs> yeah, that was embarrassing. So Drakkar Close, not the best loss to have. But, uh, you know, he's, like, functional. That's fine. Uh, I think Sarkin probably ends up, like, getting aggroed early, but then takes over in, like, two and three. Uh, probably a bit uglier of a fight, as you mentioned, than people expect. Just because Yagos, at the very least, he's pretty keenly aware of what he's good at. Uh, he's going to, you know, come out hot, try to hit him a lot and wrestle him on the cage. But uh, Sarkin has shown he's able to deal with that and probably ends up just, you know, taking over later. Yeah, so, I think he'll win. Yeah, it's a fine, it's a fine fight. Yeah, and just for, you know, some people don't like when we're critical of certain prospects because of, like, things that seem nitpicky. Like, it, it's a little nitpicky, but we're just saying, like, okay, this is a guy who's on track, is being treated like someone who's going to challenge the top guys. Here's how I feel he would fare against the top guys, and here's why. Um, that's all. But, you know, things change. Fighters get better sometimes, so we'll see if that happens. Uh, I have an idea. Let's not talk about any more fights on this card. You cool that's a good with that? idea. Yeah. 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 Happy um, with that. Let's do our uh, – we have a fan question, listener question. I feel like a fan question implies more than saying a listener <laughs> question. Um, but this one, here's somebody who, who likes Armin Surikian who might not like our criticisms. Uh, that's not what the question's about, really, but there is some connection, I think. Uh, this is from Luke, who I think it's pronounced Butso, but I just I don't know. Um, five but his, his handle right now is five. U-T-Z-O-W but I just remember in the past there has been a B um, it's been many different things because he's had his account suspended um, <laughs> but he asked uh, recently there have been fighters that are very flawed mechanically uh, but they have high output and variety making them unpredictable and or unorthodox to deal with what's the best way to handle that kind of style how do you deal with those types of guys and I you know just let's let's think of some people I mean like on the feet 
I think Sorokin's a little bit like that. Um, but then like more so like Marab, Aljo. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Those are the best. Those are the best ones. <laughs> yeah. I mean, as soon as I read it, honestly, what I thought was maybe because he just fought and has a booking soon, but Billy Quarantiller reminds oh, me a bit sure. of that. Um, you know, very like newly volume pressure fighter. <laughs> yeah, I think he's cool. Like it's uh, and honestly, I thought of him also because we've seen him be dealt with. Right. Gavin Tucker did a lot of stuff. Um, dragging him into the clinch and beating him there, beating him on transitions and just paying pretty keen attention to where he was in the ring. That seems like a decent way to do it. If you're a really strong counterpuncher, that could work, but it could also kind of turn against you when you're like Gabriel Benitez and you're like hitting him hard and it doesn't matter and just flusters you and you get flustered more by just getting noodled all over the place. So, you know, it's, it's tough to come up with like a uniform way to deal with these people just because it depends on like their attributes a lot. Um, if it's like, you know, they have a, they drive a super high pace and they're not super strong fundamentally it's tough if they have like an indestructible chin because they can just keep doing that regardless of how you deal with them. But in general, I think you could kind of point to Tucker Quarantel as a decent example of that. Uh, any other examples of guys being janky and high volume? All to the time. That? Yeah, like there are too many to really like come up with specific ones. Yeah. And I'm sure if I looked through the rankings, there'd be a bunch. Um, I don't know. So give me give me some ideas. Let's let's get the ball rolling. How do how do you deal with them? Oh, uh, well, easy one, hit them very hard on the counter so that they aren't as yeah. keen to... It's my uh, first instinct. <laughs> yeah, to push a pace. Again, it's tough when it when they have the sort of chin that allows them to play that game in the first place, right? Like, that's the first thing that you're going to have to deal with yeah. when you're playing that sort of game, when you're not super tight mechanically or super tight defensively, and you're trying to push a pace, that's the, the number one threat. Uh, but if you can do that, then it's going to be tough to push that game. Um, working in transitions, that's a good one. Uh, again, Tucker Quarantil is a good example where Quarantil is able to just walk him into the clinch over and over. You know, just held his ground, limited Quarantil's options as a boxer, uh, and turned him and hit him a lot on, on the break. Uh, that worked out well. I mean, you could point to the approach of someone like Jose Aldo for pretty much anything, but it's a, it's a good approach here. Uh, even outside of the counterpunching, just, you know, really keen attention to his ring craft and economy of motion. Really what those sorts of fighters are trying to do is draw a lot of, like, sloppy outfighting from you. Uh, because that's going to exhaust you just as much as just getting hit a lot is going to. So, you know, don't do that is a good start. Um, but yeah, again, it's tough if you don't know what specific fighter you're talking about, because obviously, like, in a broad strategic level, there are a bunch of ways to someone like Aljo and Quarantillo are similar. In a tactical level, they're not all that similar. So. Yeah, for sure. Um, uh, Lance, uh, one of our Discord patrons and an amateur fighter, I believe, himself, um, he, he replied with, you know, he gave the answer. He's like, uh, sound fundamentals. I'm like, well, yeah. And he's like, having a solid jab. I'm like, well, yeah. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's like, be good, be good, and it'll work. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it's like, if someone's trying to throw a lot of volume at you, yeah, counter them because they're going to give you a lot and they're probably not going to be that careful about what they throw. Um, so if they're jabbing a lot and hit them across counters or like slip and hit them with something, like, you know, it's going to be possible. Um, but if they're a chin bully, um, then that's the entire basis of their style is they can do that and they can eat counters. So, um, just countering them isn't really enough. So it's, you know, you can still do that. Um, you can still uh, evade and, and hit them, but you should have footwork. <laughs> you should be able to get offline after you do that or just evade and get offline and then hit them. I mean, uh, Alda Munoz, pretty much the blueprint, uh, especially in the first round. Cause after that, Munoz kind of took his foot off the gas. Cause like, I don't like this. I'm getting clowned. Uh, proceeded to get, still get clowned, uh, harder in fact, but, <laughs> uh, you know, it, it's not a good feeling, you know, compare that to Munoz versus Aljo, um, where Munoz is pretty stupidly pressuring, uh, just walking right into him. And Alto's throwing, throwing everything he has um, and hitting him with most of it. And uh, Munoz just keeps chipping away, you know, going, going attribute hunting, um, coming for his body, coming for his legs. And uh, that worked too. That worked. But, you know, it just, he didn't do it in a smart enough, efficient enough way to really uh, offset the, the damage he was taking, the volume he was taking. Um, but that, that does bring up the point. Do you pressure these people? Yes. Um, I think most people in MMA would do well to be pressuring. Uh, it just it works very well for MMA. It's the superior style, in my opinion, at, at this time. It takes less in MMA to be a good pressure fighter than it does to be good uh, on the back foot. 
um, for reasons we've discussed so many times. Um, and there is nuance to it, but it just, that's just facts. Um, so yeah, if you're pressuring someone, yeah, it's going to be harder for them to throw volume if they have to move backwards, but you know, certain styles are built for that. Like, uh, theoretically how Aljamain Sterling's game should work as a wrestle kicker is that he throws a lot of janky volume on the outside and makes you mad. Uh, and he scores on you from the outside and you say, come here and you come after him and then he level changes and he takes you down. Um, that's actually not what he does because he's not that good at uh, reactive <laughs> shots. Like it's not one of his, one of his skills. Uh, he can, he can try, but he's not very good at it. As you saw, it's not against, a great kicker either. No, yeah, he's good at doing it a lot. Um, <laughs> but yeah, as you saw against Munoz and Peter Jan, like that's not, not his thing. So yeah, pressuring him is a good idea. Yeah. But if you just, you know, get stand in front of him and try to keep walking forward and force exchanges, he might, he might hit you. Um, that's when you counter him, right? Now Joe's not somebody who can really chin bully or anything like that. So countering him hard, should be a good thing. It's going to back him off. Yeah. 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 Um, but that, you know, speaking of wrestling, maybe you're a grappler. Uh, <laughs> they're trying mm-hmm. to, you know, deal with you with, with janky volume. Uh, recent example, Pantoja versus Royville. Um, Pantoja was falling Royville's apart. a great example. Yeah. He's falling apart uh, <laughs> because of, of Royville's approach. And he just, uh, like seconds after sitting himself, Back, was standing back up off like sitting on his butt because he just kind of fell over because it was he was overwhelmed. Um, it was timed one slip, timed one slip and turned it into a back take. Um, ha- doing <laughs> being able to do stuff like that changes everything because you can actually stop <laughs> the, the the process. Uh, and now we're grappling and you don't have to do that anymore. And I can hold you down in position. You take away their entire wing condition, which is volume and pace. Um, so it, I think the fact of the matter is there are a bunch of ways to deal with it. Um, it definitely depends on what are they doing and what is the rest of their skill set and what are their attributes. But um, it's not easy to deal with, but there's a bunch of different ways you can approach it um, as long as you have a clear strength in at least one area um, and don't have gaping holes <laughs> that are going to make it hard for you to enforce any kind of like back off uh, approach. Would I recommend adopting that style? If you're someone who's coming up and like, I can, I can enforce a pretty high pace um, should I do this? Um, I think it's, it's a bit, it's a bit of cope because <laughs> if you can push really high pace, if you can throw a lot of strikes, you should work even harder on getting really fundamentally sound and pushing a really high rhythm with what you do, um, instead of just spamming. Cause it's really hard to be careful and trying to get a lot of volume out there but a high rhythm on good things is, is much easier to enforce and it's going to work better. And it's, it's just better flatly. <laughs> it's just a better thing to do. Um, that's like how you end fights. Um, if you've ever like gotten into your group and sparring and like started, like beat somebody up, if you've ever been there in that situation, uh, usually it's like, you just kind of get your momentum and you, you start to pick up the pace and you just do the good things that you're doing faster and in, in, in higher sequence rates. Um, I mean, that boxing is like that a lot. <laughs> you know, people start to warm up into their uh, wind condition. Once they see their opening, they pour it on and they keep upping and upping up until it, it overwhelms. Like that's very intentional. It's very pace dependent. It takes a lot of conditioning, but like, if you can do that, you should do that. Um, but MMA is, is the sport where people sell out hundred percent on what they can do to win. And uh, I think that's beautiful, but also it's very frustrating. <laughs> Yeah, I think that pretty much covers most of the routes. So if you can pressure one of these people, it's a good idea. But it also, it's pretty complicated because you need to like stop them from doing their thing with their mm-hmm. chin bullying before you can do that. Um, the easy way, obviously, is like Sterling Sandhagen, where you pressure a lot harder and like sell out on the pressure and then get to where you need to be and just end it before they can really do anything. But that's not necessarily the most, like, it de- again, it depends on who they are. Right. It's not impossible for someone who like drives a ton of janky volume to also be good at wrestling. Those are just cases where they weren't with Royval and Sanhagen. They just weren't. So it wasn't really a thing that the other guy had to deal with as much. But yeah, it's tough to generalize in cases like this. But if you're again, if you're able to push a pace, it's a lot better to be able to do it well. Like that's the difference between someone like Max Holloway, who is a very real chin bully, but someone who can you know do it against very good fighters. Uh, versus a, a Roy Voller, a Sanhagen, who kind of relies on his opponents to be a bit more limited than that. 
uh, or at least needs to like eat a couple things before really making any reads of their own. Like uh, if you watch something like Sanhagen or Somsau, where Sanhagen, yeah, his approach did work, but he also ate a bunch of shots trying to figure it out. Like that's fine, it works. It's MMA, and if you're durable enough, that's a good idea. Like cost of doing business, that is a concept that exists, but it's possible to do it better. Uh, so yeah, that's uh, it's a good question. Very good question. I should say wrestling also has the thing with the pace, the pace control, um, like very intentional lead ups to sprints and things like that. Like, I think that's a very seldom seen art in MMA is, is that kind of control of pace. Um, Peter Jan, he does that very well. So Joel Romero, that's another one. Yeah. Yeah. Um, there, there are a few, there are a few who can do it, but, uh, backs Holloway. Um, but anyway, that's enough. <laughs> it's yeah. midnight. Uh, thank you, uh, Sharon, for a great podcast. We turned we turned nothing into something. <laughs> and uh, thank you, Luke, for the question. And uh, yeah, stop stop old man fights. Twenty twenty one. Let's let's yeah. end it. <laughs> All right.